Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times, Second Captain's Podcast. Owen and Murph here. Hello there, Owen. Ken is on holidays, no doubt raising a vodka somewhere to the IOC's decision not to ban Russia from the Olympic Games as Second Captain's most rapidly pro-Russian athletes being allowed to compete at Rio member. That's why <laughs> yeah, I'm no, describing you got there Ken. The yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Ken made the point last week that, you know, given the fact that the world is crumbling all around us, maybe it's not a bad idea to have one inclusive club like the Olympics, especially when plenty of other members of that club are doing just slightly toned down versions of what uh, the Russians are doing. Well, On certainly the they're they uh, you know they're not squeaky clean. That's probably the best way of yeah of describing it. So why not just allow the Russians in? On the list of things the Russian state are currently involved in, where does state-sponsored doping of their athletes really come in? I mean, that's that's the question, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I can I can certainly see Ken's point, and it did give me pause for thought when he met it. On Thursday, still something about the image of Secret Service passing dirty samples through mouse holes during the Sochi Olympics. Something about the 577 positive tests that the sports Russian sports ministry intervened in. Okay, I'm back on your side. Though. Something about the IOC's decision to ban the one athlete who came out and did something about the whole scandal in the first place. Something just doesn't sit quite right. I think I think Russia are the country who've been uh, very much proven to have a state-sponsored doping program, and nobody else does. So therefore. Yeah, yeah it, it sits a little bit uneasy. Well, certainly the argument that they're not alone is one of the stupider arguments I've ever heard. Uh, because, well, listen, we can't solve all the murders, so why not just you mm. know let all of the you know actual murderers that we've caught? Why not let them go? You know, because really it's unfair on the other murderers. Yeah. You know, um, it's uh, yeah, it's that that's a bizarre argument, and it's a patently wrong decision. The, made today, no doubt about well, the that. international federate the. The fact that they passed the book to the various international federations, so that's essentially what they've done here. They've, they've said, well, you know, we're not going to just allow the Russians in. I mean, we couldn't possibly do that. They have to prove that they're clean and the people who make that decision are the federations that run each individual sport. Some of them have been quick off the mark. The ITF, the tennis guys. I would guys. have said, actually, right, <laughs> just wait a day. Wait for other people to do it. I mean, tennis, you're, you haven't had the best year of the it. The ITF you know? said, look, our Russians are clean. Off they go, and a few others are going to follow suit there. So I actually think it'll be quite a sizable contingent of Russian athletes um, hmm. competing under their flag. 
one of whom won't be Yulia Stepanova. Well, she didn't want to compete under the Russian flag. She did want to compete as a neutral athlete, though. This is the whistleblower, she and her husband, who worked in the anti-doping agency, uh, anti-doping agency in Russia and uh, eventually became completely disillusioned with the whole thing. They're the two who went to the media and eventually got this story uncovered. The, it's worthwhile, I think, reading this part of the statement because it gives you a sense of the muddled nature of the whole thing. Miss Stepanova is basing her request on her role as whistleblower with regard to the manipulation of the anti-doping system and corruption involving the WADA-accredited Moscow Anti-Doping Lab uh, the uh, all Russia Athletic Federation and the IWF. The Ethics Commission applauds the contribution of Miss Stepanova to the fight against doping. It puts this contribution in the perspective of Miss Stepanova's own long implication of at least five years in this doping system, a system and the timing of her whistleblowing, which came after the system did not protect her any longer following a positive test for which she was sanctioned for doping for the first time. So now this is I'm breaking away from the statement for a second to, to make a comment. This is the whole statement. It starts off saying one thing, making a point, and then saying it's. As I called it in, on Twitter, it's the on the one hand, on the other hand statement. Mm. It's just constant. Every paragraph is just like they say one thing and then they say the opposite. The IOC executive board accepted the advice of the Ethics Commission, also taking into consideration the decision not to allow any Russian athlete who has ever been sanctioned for doping to participate in the game. So therefore, Stepanova won't be allowed to compete. However, on the other hand, uh, the IOC uh, executive board would like to express its appreciation for Ms. Stepanova's contribution to the fight against doping and to the integrity of sport. Therefore, the IOC invites Ms. Stepanova and her husband to the Olympic Games, Rio 2016. Furthermore, the IOC is ready to support Ms. Stepanova so that she can continue her sports career and potentially join a National Olympic Committee. <laughs> it's just like, even that, I don't know. Oh, if I'm Stepanova, I'm probably thinking, just don't invite. Just, it's look, you yeah. throw me under the bus, leave me there. Don't throw me under the bus and half pull me out mm. uh, it's just uh, yeah it's kind of crazy write a letter of apology from the bus driver is basically uh, <laughs> That's present better, her yeah. with a letter of apology from the bus driver <laughs> really sorry about that bizarre but, you know. uh, we're going to talk to Owen Gibson you wrote a great piece on all this in today's Irish Times so we'll chat to him in a few minutes you were in Thurless yesterday Murph I was the double header do you enjoy Galway staking a claim <sighs> can I tell you a little something about what happened to me mm-hmm. last week I was going to go down uh, I was going to go down I was going to watch it in the press room Watch it, the uh, games from the press box. Thurless press box, one of the best views in world sport. Actually, in world sport. The gantry looks out over the... the, the this is the I suppose the commentary. The press box might be not quite so good. But you get a pretty amazing view, one way or the other, if you're working in the press room mm-hmm. uh, in Thurless. Brother rang me on Friday morning and said, come on, we'll go. So I, I wasn't going to, you know, meet him outside the ground and say, hey, you know, golly of the boo... And then, you know, go our separate ways. Why are you taking off your headband, Murph? No, I yeah, just, like, just, just go. no cheering in the press box. So. Um, so we said, okay, cool, let's buy a couple of tickets. I bought two tickets online and I got two of the worst <laughs> 10 no. tickets oh, no. in Semple Stadium. I was actually behind. So the big screen, if everyone was watching on TV, they would have seen where the mm. big screen was in Thurles yesterday. I was behind the big screen and behind the goal line in that top corner of the old stand in Thurles, right? Yeah. right? It, was, I, it felt like I was watching the game from the square in Thurles. <laughs> <laughs> but there was help at hand because I have many cousins from Waterford. Two of them were leaving the, leaving the game at halftime in the Golda Clare game to beat the traffic. So they'd been in for Waterford-Wexford. They had seen all they needed to see. Some kids were involved. That's, no, that's legitimate enough, I think. Absolutely a game and a half is, is yeah. quite a show. So he said, we'd like to meet up before the, the end of the game. So myself and Paul are like, right, this is our chance. We go downstairs. Oh, hi, guys. And then, at the end, it was as if 
the idea had only occurred to me at that ex- God, You know what? Since you guys are, are le- I suppose we could take your seats pretty much on the halfway line. I suppose we could do that. I mean, I'd for- I mean, I didn't even think, but I mean, I suppose we probably could. So we went down. We, I, I actually ended up sitting near enough on the halfway so line. So you actually saw the second for the, That's exactly it. I, so I can speak with great clarity on other things that happened. <laughs> Uh, but no. no, I mean, you know, I did. I, I saw them all. Pretty poor games of hurling, to be honest. Uh, the Waterford-Wexford game. I, you know, uh, I despair because, uh, as I've mentioned, I have a lot of cousins from Waterford. All they ever talk to me is about is hurling. I mean, they're absolutely obsessed with hurling down at Waterford. This team has given them plenty of reason to be hopeful. But what I saw yesterday, I think Kilkenny are going to beat them by 10 to 15 points. Oh, come on. I'm sorry. I... I, I what Kilkenny are going to score is about 220, right? So that's 26 points. I think Waterford would be doing well to get as many possessions inside the opposition half as they did against Wexford. And, I mean, they're not, that's not going to happen. I don't know that their wides ratio is going to be appreciably better than it was. I mean, it, it has to be a little better. I don't know how much better it's going to be against Kilkenny. Mm. I mean, the math, it's actually simple math when you think about it. That they, they don't score enough. They, they they don't look like they're going to score enough to trouble Kilkenny or Tipperary. And that's that's kind of it. That was the depressing thing that, that came out of it from my point of view yesterday in relation to the Waterford game. We'll get into this with Matt Clerken shortly. Podge Collins is going to be joining us for that chat. He came on for the footballers in their historic win against Roscommon. Not so good for the hurlers yesterday, unfortunately. Uh, but he's good enough to chat to us today. And Connor Sweeney. He was a hero for the tip footballers as they beat Derry to set up a quarterfinal against Galway. So he will be on. That's the Derry footballers, of, uh, the tip footballers. Yeah, I think I said that. But uh, we'll get into all that a little bit later. First, the Guardian's chief sports correspondent, Owen Gibson, is ready to talk IOC in Russia. Uh, thanks very much for chatting, first of all, Owen. No problem at all. Greg Rutherford today said in the last 24 hours said he'd almost have been happier if the decision had been a bullish refusal to act in any way instead of what he calls a spineless attempt to be a nice guy to both sides. Do you agree with them? Would it have been in some ways more palatable if they just said, here, listen, Russia is welcome to compete en masse? I think if they'd, been a, I think if they'd accompanied that decision with a strong argument, then maybe, then maybe he's right. Because I mean, the problem with this is it's a classic case of an organisation sitting around a table and trying to sort of please all sides and ending up pleasing none. Should we be surprised about that? I mean, were you were you actually surprised or shocked when it, it, it started becoming apparent what the decision was going to be? No, I wasn't surprised. No. I, I expected them to defer to the, to the federations all along. And obviously the big irony in them, in them saying that the uh, sporting federations have got to decide is that their plan for reforming anti-doping, earlier this year they said that, that they recognised that WADA wasn't really fit for purpose and that we needed a new anti-doping system. And they said their plan was to take the responsibility away from the federations and give it to a new body. And yet here they are nine days before the Olympics telling the federations they've got to decide which athletes are clean and which aren't. I was the same as you, I have to say from the start, I didn't really think that they ever would actually have the gumption to to ban a country with the size and power of Russia until the decision, the court of arbitration for sport decision uh, ruling against the track and field athletes last week. I, I wavered a little bit there, I have to say, and thought, well, come on, surely once that's happened, it, it makes it a little bit easier for, for the IOC to make the big call, but apparently not. Well, I think, I, think, I think you're right. I think it did make it easier. It certainly gave them, gave them the, um, the ballast to do so. Um, but I think now you've got this terrible scenario, really, whereby the track and field athletes probably feel probably feel sort of righteous and wronged because they're not going to be going to Rio. And some of their colleagues who, uh, who are in, 
the same situation, but in other sports, are going to be going. So, you know, you've got track and field, which has made, to my mind, the right decision. And yet um, the athletes in those sports who are Russian are, are able to feel like they've somehow been wronged. And I think you're right. Basically, the um, once the... Uh, Arbitration for sport came back. Um, it would have given the ISC more ballast, as as did obviously the um, the WADA, the, the McLaren report in the first place. And what's that? Bit? That's been part of a wider um, pushback, if you like, or campaign, I think, by by those who are rightfully kind of appalled by what's gone on in Russia and had sort of been looking at them sleepwalking towards competing in the Olympics and have been trying to do all they can to get as much of the truth out there to give the IOC the best possible chance of, of making, you know, to my mind, the right decision and, and then just haven't taken that chance. What do you say to the IOC's argument, which essentially is that individual athletes should be given a chance to prove themselves clean and therefore should be allowed to compete if they can do that? I think there's some merit in that argument. Obviously, it's quite seductive because it, it plays the idea that we should be protecting the athletes and, and why is it fair to kind of, you know, uh, prevent an athlete from, who's comp- from competing who is clean. But I just think the whole thing is so much bigger than that. I mean, we've got a case here where, you know, the, the facts are so staggering, the extent of the corruption uh, is so deep. Um, you've got an entire state engaged over a five-year period in, um, in a state-sponsored doping programme. And I just think that, you know, there will be collateral damage in terms of some of those athletes. But it's impossible to say, given what we know about the scale of that um, doping operation, I think it's impossible to say at this juncture which of those athletes are clean and which aren't. And therefore, it would have been the, the wise and the kind of, you know, the, 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 the thing that showed leadership to do would have been to, to ban them from this Olympics. The one group, I guess, on that, uh, well, aside from the track and field athletes that has been punished, is that group of athletes who've previously tested positive at any point. They're not going to be allowed to compete in the games. This is a funny one, though, because you've got lots of people in that boat from other countries, including other major countries. Justin Gatlin is always the one that's thrown out there, I guess, as the, the sort of villain bad guy of 100 meter sprinting. But why is it okay for the for an American who's tested positive on a couple of occasions in the past? to compete at these games and a Russian who's tested positive but has served their ban not to compete. Well, that's right. It clearly isn't. And this is one of the one of the huge ironies. I mean, apparently there's eight uh, athletes on the Russian team who fall into that category who won't now be able to compete. And it feels to me like a deal has been done somewhere along the line. You know, um, uh, the ISE have said to Russia, you have to accept that your previously banned athletes can't compete. Russia has said, OK, if that means we can get, you know, m- uh, majority of other athletes from other sports in, then we'll wear that. So basically, they're, they're you know, all the rhetoric about um, about the athlete coming first and so on. Again, even though we're talking about athletes that have been banned in the past, um, that falls to one side. And it's just a completely inconsistent um, line of arguments. As you say, Justin Gatlin will be there, Tyson Gale will be there, and so on. You can have, a, you can have a, an argument about whether they should be there too but as things stand it's completely inconsistent it's also inconsistent with the um with the isc's own rules they used to have this rule going up to 2011 whereby if you'd um failed a uh, a drug test you weren't allowed to compete in the olympics that followed even if your ban had already run out um and that that test that um that sanction was challenged actually by the americans LaShawn merritt was able to run and that had to fall away so it, it's not consistent with any of their own existing rules it's not consistent with the the sort of case law that's being built up and so the only way it'll be allowed to stand is if the russians don't challenge it i don't think the russians will challenge it because they've got what they wanted so it's another example of how this isn't thought through at all i think it does also seem just lastly that yeah they are quite selective as to how they employ their rules and their Olymp- the olympic charter was mentioned a few times during this statement and it seemed to be used 
it, it, if it suits an argument, they go with the Olympic Charter. Other than that, they they look at they say themselves. Well, we we have to look at whether or not this fits in with the Olympic Charter and can things be changed around. I guess Yulia Stepanova is the big victim in this, in that she isn't allowed to run for two reasons. One of which is that she has admitted to doping in the past. She was the big whistleblower who blew this case wide open. And the second is they say the rules of the Olympic Charter related to the organisation of the Olympic Games run counter to the recognition of the status of a neutral athlete. So she wanted to be able to run uh, not for. Russia, but as a neutral athlete, and that's not going to happen. How, is that is that in ways? I know a lot of people today are latching onto that as maybe the most damaging part of the whole thing. That somebody is actually okay admitted to doing something wrong, but worked quite tirelessly and bravely to expose the corruption is now in a situation where the best she gets is an invite to go and watch the games in the IOC, but not compete. Well, that's right. I mean, the message that sends out is clearly absolutely uh, terrible. And um, Travis Tiger and other sort of prominent anti-doping figures have said just that and again i think it just shows how you know in isolation you can imagine them sitting around the table and working their way through all this and each point kind of you know on its own perhaps makes some sort of sense perhaps is arguable but you put it all together and the message it basically sends out is that you know russia which operates this huge state-sponsored doping program for five years is able to compete u.s stepping over who was the whistleblower who blew it wide open without whom we wouldn't know about any of this I mean, it's instructive that neither WADA nor the IOC were onto this in 2012-2013 when, um, when the Stepanovs were trying to get in touch with them to tell them about it. It took the media to, to take their story and bring it to wider attention. Um, and the fact that, you know, uh, Thomas Back is there on a, on a conference call saying that, you know, it's fine so we'll invite her to the Games and that'll be a big step forward for clean sport. It's just laughable, really, and that's, that's the thing that sticks in the throat the most. That felt like sort of the final um, kick in the shins, if you like. <laughs> All right, listen, Owen Gibson, great to talk. Thanks a million. No problem. Okay, one final point to make about this, Murph, this whole uh, scandal and story. It's going to be a lot of fun watching. I mean, come on. If, if there's an event and it's a Russian athlete, against, especially against an American, and they're both going at it for... Now, they're not going to be in track and field, so it's not going to mm. happen in that. But whatever... The, what, I don't know how good the Russian basketball team is, Murph, but the dream team versus the Russian team. <laughs> I, would, I would watch that. If, if they it's were not 1972 sh- anymore. <laughs> I think Russia slipped down the pecking order. Just yeah. So slightly uh, but come on, you can't deny that there, there will be a certain theater well, around that. Sometimes, you know, TV companies have to work very hard to tell us, you know, who are the, the goodies and who are the baddies. <laughs> I don't think they're going to have to be working overtime. They've got uh, their, the the, yeah, they've all got their evil mute, um, sort of movie mm. music soundtrack ready to go each time a Russian athlete appears yeah. on screen. Just subliminally <laughs> shooting like 0. 0.05 second shots of Vladimir Putin, <laughs> intercutting it throughout every uh, every uh, event, just in case we, we're wavering at all. Let's get into this championship weekend. We've just seen a couple of key players uh, of the weekend are going to talk to us during our chat with Maliki Clerken, who has popped into the studio. Maliki, how are you? All right, Owen. Uh, wanted to, well, we wanted to put something to you. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Euro 2016 quite a lot as Euro 2016 developed and we kind of came to the conclusion that maybe this is being optimistic but to enjoy these major tournaments you have to focus on the stories more so than the classic matches that just hardly ever materialise. Yeah. And there were a lot of great stories in Euro 2016 so myself and Murph have come to a consensus which is what mm. all great broadcasting is about. <laughs> of consensus, course, consensus, yeah. That the Euro 2016 was a successful tournament because of Iceland, because of Ireland to an extent, Wales, these kind of underdog stories. If you take that uh, rationale into the championship, is it football that's providing these these sort of stories that we can hang our hat on more so than hurling based on the weekend just gone anyway? Yeah, yeah, there's a, definitely a, an argument for that. Um, I think to an extent as well, the, the football championship actually, even on an empirical level, is almost a wee bit more enjoyable this year. Um, 
Although that, there could be a bit of a contrarian in me saying that because uh, I, I, I always think it's I always nearly set my watch by uh, the the big rush to declare a championship terrible uh, <laughs> in early, early June. You know, yeah. <laughs> sometimes May isn't even out before people go. Ah, oh, it's terrible! Oh God, yeah. it's awful stuff. Um, but the, I, I've quite enjoyed the football championship. You know, uh, and exactly exactly that. The more the better storylines. The scoring is higher than it has ever been, you know, for all people giving out about defensive football and um but the stories like to to be going into an all Ireland quarter final weekend with Claire and Tipperary there is fantastic. Yeah. There's no doubt like there you know, uh even I I think even people in Ulster, you know, seven of the Ulster teams are gone, like I th- and I still think people in Ulster would get plenty to to watch in the All Ireland quarterfinals. Okay, nobody expects Tipperary and Clare to to, to beat uh, Galway and Kerry, but there's still plenty to see there. Mm. And and I think it has given it a boost to the qualifiers as well. Uh, you know, we give out about the qualifiers an awful lot, almost because we kind of have to give out about something. You mm. know, we all, we have to find something wrong. And and look, the championship structure is is wrong. On, there's, on on any level where Kerry can make an All Ireland semi final by playing Clare Tipperary and Clare again, of course the championship structure is wrong compared to what what other teams have to do to get there. But the qualifier system, I think, I think largely whether it works or not, it throws up some really interesting stuff. Yeah, and it gets glossed over because there's not a, most of the games aren't on TV, and a lot of them happen together uh, at the same time. So you know who has the time or the interest. Or you know the friends and family to allow them to get stuck into four games of football on a, on a Saturday mm-hmm. in the middle of June when the weather's good, or middle of July when the weather's good. So a lot of these games pass people by. Don't make but, us feel guilty, Maliki, for watching <laughs> all the football. <laughs> but, but but as I say, like lots of great games with high scores and and. Um, not even massive crowds, just kind of pass people by, and people kind of wake up on Monday, and go, "All oh, right, yeah, yeah, I didn't, know. oh yeah, the, yeah, I didn't see it's that." Loud, loud one on Saturday, exactly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so and so it all kind of washes out uh, uh, at the in the last week of July, and you go, "My God, Claire and Tipperary are still going, yeah." What? God, yeah, they're the area, you know, yeah. and like the Tipperary Derry game also had, as you said, the benefit of being a really excellent game of football. Mm. Uh, that was played out in front of, I think, two and a half thousand people. Something like that, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's obviously disappointing, you know, and there are reasons for that and all the rest. But at the end of the day, you're, what we saw on Saturday was a really, really entertaining game of football between two teams, obviously, who defensively have a lot of questions to like a lot of questions to ask like the amount of the amount of players who picked up the ball 80 yards out started soloing and found themselves 21 yards out <laughs> know, yeah, yeah. about you know 8 seconds later <laughs> how did this happen okay I'll kick a point but uh, yeah I mean that's that's the way the, the qualifiers is, works you yeah. know like like the, the system isn't designed always to give you the 8 best teams no in the quarterfinals, and that's fine. Like that's good mm. in a lot of ways well, because it means that. Like I, I'd be interested to see just how many teams have made the quarterfinals in football over the last ten years because that's the the barometer that we set. That's the bar that we set. If you get to the August Bank Holiday weekend, still in the championship uh, or close enough to it now that, since they've rejigged it mm. slightly, but if you get to the August Bank, Bank Holiday weekend, still in the football championship, by any metric, that's a successful year. It's a, it's a successful year for Mead. For Galway, for Cavan, 
Yeah, there's and really now only for Clare and Tipperary, yeah. which is absolutely brilliant. There's really only four teams that it's not a, a metric of exactly, success. Yeah, you know, for everyone else, for, but, but but for everyone else, it's actually an achievable ambition, which absolutely. is which means that the qualifier system is working pretty pretty well, well for those I, teams. I, it's funny. I'm I have to write a piece for the, the for the program, uh, the match program on the weekend, um, uh, and one of the things that that I was kind of going to explore it was like what do people really want out of a championship you know like <laughs> I sometimes think that what they want is something that is there that they, that they can complain about mm. um, but do you do you want when you think that when you're saying ah you know the, the football championship is desperate and all that sort of stuff do you want surprises or do you not want surprises? Do you want teams scoring loads or do you not? Or do you want teams defending well or do you not? Or is it just an amorphous competition that we should not not that we shouldn't give out about? Obviously, we should complain about things until they they get to some sort of um, point where where it's agreeable. But I think people just really get annoyed over. The, the right to to call it or the right to to be seen to be giving out or not to be giving out but to be you know kicking ag- against the curve you know yeah but the, I said a hurling yesterday I mean that was kind of dispiriting to watch at times mm. the, and the Waterford game just you know, Waterford won comfortably I suppose they'll, they'll be happy enough with themselves but it just didn't feel like there was no real intensity to it it didn't feel like to me anyway I mean that was probably more Wexford's problem uh, Galway Clare threatened at times at least to sort of spark into life and, you know if Clare had ever got within three or four points maybe uh, it mm. could have become a classic or at least a great game it never quite happened I guess you are hoping when you've got four leading counties playing each other over the course of one weekend that you get out of those two games you get at least one really mm. good one Yeah, it that's was, not too much to hope for is no it? it's no. absolutely not and we, I actually met Seamus Hickey outside, outside the ground yesterday the Limerick Hurler and he was saying he was talking about Kilkenny and talking about you know, Lochnan saying that Kilkenny are going almost by default for three in a row before the championship, which obviously uh, caused a little bit of ructions when he said it. But what what Seamus said actually afterwards was really interesting. It was like, it's not that Kilkenny have blasted back, you know, the 2014 and 2015. Like, they've been really, really good. But what's happened is that everyone else has slid back from, say, from, if you take 2013 as the dawn of the new era, the the... The championship that gives us hope every year that we, you know, we might get another one like it, kind of thing. That you know, Limerick and Dublin win the provincial titles, Clare go on and win the All Ireland, Kilkenny are nowhere to be seen, Tip are nowhere to be seen. That what he said was that all those teams, instead of going forwards, have gone backwards. So Limerick have gone back, Dublin have gone back, Clare have gone back. Like to be fair, Galway, <laughs> like Galway are, get, keep getting hit for inconsistency. Galway are the very model of consistency. They play very well against yeah. everyone except Kilkenny, and then. They're unbelievably consistent against Kilkenny in that they, they not alone lose, but they lose in the exact same way. I mean, I don't know how much more consistent you can ask for uh, for a team, to be quite frank. But you know what you can get. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we can plan it down almost minute by minute. So, um, and like that's what's interesting. You know that like instead of Clare, Clare, Waterford, Limerick, all these teams, Dublin pushing pushing on, they've gone backwards. And looking at Waterford yesterday, like the level of frustration. That I that I felt watching them, you know, it's you know they they play with the handbrake on, you know, they, this and that's the that's the really frustrating thing about them. They do to an extent, yeah. Uh, 
like we've talked about Waterford here a lot uh, this summer, like from the league finals on, and it's funny how um, how often we come in and talk about them, and our reaction to them is governed by um, how well they shoot. Yeah, um, because. As, like Liam Sheedy pointed out at halftime yesterday, Waterford had 31 scoring chances mm. in the first half. They, I think it was was it 13 wides, 14 wides? I think it's 13 at halftime, yeah. Seven of those go over and they've scored 20 points in the first half and nobody's talking about them playing yeah. with the handbrake on. Now, the, of course, the, the, you know, you can use statistics to prove anything. Of course, when you drill down into that, the, fire, the reason that they have 13 wides is that they're shooting from miles out they're shooting chances they're, is the word I've got a problem with exactly yeah they're shooting from the <laughs> car park because yeah. they don't have any players inside because that's how they set up and we, we know all of those arguments um, but the handbrake on is, is, is a reasonable way to describe it um, but I, I think what, what Seamus said is, is interesting in that the, the whole reason why the teams like Waterford and Clare um, Dublin to an extent, maybe a bit of Limerick, all play the way they play, is because of the sort of um, the existential threat of Kilkenny. Is that Kilkenny went through a decade horsing everybody out of it. Teams tried to front up to them physically, got nowhere. So they had to think of another way around it. The The interesting thing seems to be that that all these counties have just decided that the the physical matching them physically, fronting up to them, playing old fashioned hurling against them is just a complete no no. They just just there's no future in it whatsoever, and so they deal with they they keep going on with with this way of playing, which I've said plenty of times. I have no particular problem with you know no moralistic or philosophical problem with, but I, I have a, a bad problem. idea for those teams. But this is the my I have a problem with it if it doesn't win. <laughs> yeah, you know the the sport is there to be won, and and if. By if setting up this way and leaving yourself so shorn of a goal threat, and goals are, are, are what makes hurling exciting. It's not even that it makes hurling exciting, but it's what dictates the terms of a hurling game. Because goals are easier to score in hurling than they are in football because the ball is smaller and goes faster. So if you can score three of them, then the other team has to come out and score three of their own. And if you're only playing with one forward up, then you have to you have to score all those points from downtown. And if you don't, this is how you end up. All right, let's chat to the man in the middle of two of the big games over the weekend. Uh, delighted to say Podge Collins joins us now. Podge, thanks a million for taking the call. No problem at all. How uh, are you all getting on? Oh, we're getting on all right. How are you getting on? I don't know whether to congratulate or commiserate with you. It was a busy weekend. Yeah, a bit low this morning, all right. But um, uh, that's sports, the highs and lows, uh, so close one after another. But uh, obviously very disappointed with um, the performance yesterday and how everything went. So uh, a bit lower this morning, you have that feeling in the pit of your stomach. I'm sure it is, especially for a team of players. Obviously, you know, you, you, you won the All-Ireland a few years back. There's been so much underage success. I guess it you, you must already be scratching your heads as to why you can't build on that in the last couple of years in Championship. Yeah, I suppose. It's, you kinda, you'd kind of you like to be making All-Ireland semi-finals and finals. And, but uh, we haven't done it the last three years now. And uh, not not having out in Croker in that long in the into time when we had had such we had had a good bit of success in the past, we just have to like I suppose reevaluate it and go again next year and 
Unfortunately, one team can win it every year and it wasn't to be for us this year. Did you feel any extra pressure yourself, Podge, given that you're playing the football and, you know, I, I think everyone's fairly aware that maybe some hurting, a lot of hurting people would prefer that you just focused on the one thing. Did you feel any extra pressure coming into it? Um, no, I, I, like I didn't. I just, um, like you just, before a game, you kinda, you're just trying to get yourself as right as you possibly can. You're trying to kind of emulate stuff you've done in the past that you, when you play good in games, stuff like that. But some days that goes well for you and some days it doesn't. Yesterday definitely didn't go well for me. Um, whether I feel extra pressure on that, I, 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 I don't think so. I just, listen, every day I roll, I obviously try to give it 100% and try to give my best. And I never, you know, I, I try not let like external factors like pressure or nerves or anything like come into that. So I suppose I try to keep it at bay, yeah. Well, you have the football, uh, the joy of Saturday evening to, to Saturday afternoon to cling on to. It looked like just an unbelievable um, outpouring, a great occasion for Clare football. Yeah, it really feels distant memory after yesterday. You know? <laughs> but, um, I think that sport really just, it's unreal how quick the, the highs end and I wish the lows kind of tend to stick a bit longer. But um, yeah, no, it was an absolute massive day for Clare football. It's something the some of the people involved with care football that have been around for years, like the joy in their face and the seeing them on the pitch after the game and stuff like that. Um, I suppose that's what sports all about. And I know like teams like Dublin and the likes of Kerry and your Johnny Gauls, Tyrone, Cesar's, uh, they, I, I say they don't only have that feeling after winning all Ireland, but for a team like Kerry to do as well as they did on Saturday, there was, everyone was absolutely buzzing. It's Crow Park now, Podge. It's it's Kerry. Um, does that does that not take anything away? But does does that matter? Would you have preferred it maybe to be you know Dublin or Galway or a team that uh, you haven't already met? Um, I know. Like John, when you get to quarterfinal, I don't mind where it's on or who we're playing. I'm just happy playing in it and to be involved in like to be involved in football this time of year with Kerry is absolutely it's massive for the county. And um, hopefully we'll, um, hopefully we'll push on for the last common performance. And like as you can see there in the first half of last common game, a few of our big players really came up trumps and really showed their seal and showed what they could do. And um, we're just hoping that them guys kick on again and a few more guys with them. Absolutely. Well, listen, Podge Collins, best of luck in that. And thanks so much for taking the call. Thanks very much, guys. Chat to you again. I don't know, I feel a small bit sorry for Podge Collins there chatting, just that he didn't get a chance to enjoy the football success which he achieved with his family, his dad's the manager, his brother's on the team as well. And he went to play the hurling. It just uh, just didn't work out at all. I, I don't think he was the only one who couldn't get into it, as he described it there, and, uh, um, out of the Clare forwards. Mm. A lot of them struggled to make any sort of an impact, really. They did, yeah. I, like, on, on one level with the football, and we'll probably talk about it in a minute, you had to be really delighted for Pods Collins. Um, you know, not only you know, not only is he playing both sports, and not only is he doing it with his, his dad and his brother, but you know, he missed a year with a cruciate injury. Mm. You know, and we all talk. We you know, people talk about cruciate injuries and say you know it's not as bad as it used to be, and that's exactly true. Yeah. You know, you can keep playing, but you still have that nine months. And there is still that loneliness, and nobody shares that loneliness with you, but your family. And yeah. so he had nine months to recover from a cruciate injury. Yeah, he was doing it with with the Clare physio, and yeah, he was doing it with a medical team. But you know, he was also doing it with his family. Mm-hmm. And um, I know people were kind of surprised that he came back 
uh, and you know concentrated on football initially, or or he actually got injured playing football. But um, I think it's no surprise that he actually tried to play both again this year because you know that's that's your family, you know, and mm. you have to be delighted for him, you know, and. Just as he was saying there, you know, this will be this will be his first time back in Croke Park since the 2013 hurling all Ireland. It's amazing, <laughs> you know? it's, yeah, yeah, it is. It's extraordinary, you know but that that, it, that the hurlers haven't got back there. Imagine yeah. saying that after, yeah, imagine saying after mm. Clare had beaten Cork, whatever it was, five sixteen to three sixteen, in one of the great mm-hmm. all Ireland finals that we'd ever seen. The, right, Podge, congratulations! Next time you play in Croke Park, will be with your footballers in, in, in twenty sixteen, in three years' time. time. That's mm-hmm. extraordinary. And look, Clare are. You know, I think we we almost hold out a wee bit too mo- too much hope for Claire. I I was I just before I came into these here, I, I was actually reading back over um, some of the reports from twenty thirteen just to just to kind of get a sense of what what is different. You know, um, what why they why they got to that All Ireland, won that All Ireland, and were so sort of free scoring. That was the thing; they were so free scoring. Uh, in both those All Ireland finals and even the All Ireland semi final against um, Limerick, against yeah. Limerick, yeah, uh, and there was a couple of things. One of the things that they absolutely had then, and that they, hmm, you kind of ask yourself, really, do they have it now? Like Colin Ryan was just money in the bank yeah. from freeze. He was eleven, twelve, thirteen freeze every day that they went out, that, and that's a huge amount to be sticking on a scoreboard yeah. as a as a matter of fact. Yeah. You know, that you don't even have to worry about. I've seen uh, between the league semi-final, final final replay and their yeah. monster games this year, they must have had four different free takers, sometimes three different ones in, in different game. games. Yeah. Uh, it, it settled on Tony Kelly eventually, and Tony Kelly missed a couple yesterday. You absolutely need that to be a non-negotiable done Something deal. you don't even think about. Done yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. And... That's not particularly there, but also they're just not as careful with the ball as they were. And and like we talked a little bit about Waterford system, Clare system, you know, all these things work very well when they're drawn up on a whiteboard. They work very well when they're you know written out on bits of paper. But if you don't take care of the ball, that's the, you know that's the non-negotiable part of it. And they going back to twenty thirteen, they. Like in the the Limerick semi final in 2013, they had five wides all day. <laughs> when the shot wasn't on, they didn't take the yeah. shot. They didn't, you know, they they kind of knitted the ball out from from defence. Looked up, bang, ping, straight to a guy's hand, and uh, that ha- that has gone back a little bit. Um, they gave away an awful lot of frees yesterday, which was their problem, like last year and the year before, and it, and it har- harmed them again yesterday, but. In general, they just don't score enough. I do think with, with Clare, uh, they obviously don't and they, they're not finding the right system or the right mm. way to do this. But I, I do think like they're so small. Yeah. A lot of their forwards are so tiny compared to mm. Galway or Monsters. Galway like, are yeah. they're ridiculous. Freakish. I saw a photo of um, Connor Whelan <laughs> in the paper yeah. the other day and he's just leaning down to pick up his Schlitter. And his <laughs> muscles are like yeah. rippling. You know, yeah. and they've a load of those guys. Yeah, yeah uh, like Jason, uh, Jason Flynn... Cahal Man, all these guys have put on a lot yeah. of muscle so, even so in the last, last two years. Year. So Galway yeah, had the absolutely. option to uh, and, and have the skill and fairness to execute a goal like they did with Joe Canning's goal, which which was great. Uh, but they also have the choice to bomb it in long if they have to, and they'll win the ball. 
Claire, Claire don't have that. They resorted to those long balls. And okay, best case scenario, you, you pick up a break. But that's, you know, you're kind of talking about Hail Mary yeah. stuff a little bit there. So I do think that, in fairness to Davy Fitz and, and um, to Donald Logan, you know, they, they, they might be accused of th- overthinking things and, you know, not taking the shackles off and all these kind of things. But I, I think they, they do have to look for a way. It just seems to be that they either don't have the right one or... Well, partly they're also saying, choosing to leave, you know, like Derek Conan yeah. is, is not a small guy. John Conlon wasn't in the game yesterday, mm. and John Conlon is their is their their brute. You know, he's their he's their he put the, he put the forward line on on his back, yeah. and they couldn't get him into the game. Shane O'Donnell must just hate playing hurling at the minute. You know, mm. like he gets stuck in at full forward, gets beaten around the place by two and three defenders. You know, again, like in the two games against Waterford in the league. Finals. He just got blocked off every time he went to go for the. Yeah, ball. if he doesn't get he through gets, on the first burst, yeah, he, he, it's it's over for him because yeah. there's a second defender around. At and that so stage. what they had to do yesterday, mm. you know, they took him out to to uh, about centre forward mm. and played him out the field better. And that, you know, he, he, Shane O'Neill has has a brilliant facility for picking up a loose ball. Like the ball sticks to him yeah. if he can get any sort of limb out in front of the <laughs> defender, he manages to to get a pick. And so he started winning frees and getting into it. But again, you're you're completely right. Like whether it's that he's too small or that they just leave him too isolated up there. And maybe that is a function of the fact that they don't play six forwards. Like if they had six forwards, then maybe the rest of those defenders would have to spread out an awful lot more and he could be left one on one an awful lot more. Maybe you know, it's it's kinda of hypothetical. But he uh he's had a terrible time the last few years just trying to get into games, you know. Mm. You can see him just Really tries in full forward, but yeah. he picks up the ball on the end line all on, the time. Yeah, because if you're looking to pass the ball to Shane O'Donnell, you say, right, put it into space. Yeah, where is the space? Either side of him, yeah. the ball goes into space. He ends up. He runs uh, with two men uh, after him. He picks up the ball. He's all the time just heading out to the stand, yeah. out to the stand, out to the stand. And his and the, and the best case scenario for him is that somebody comes through the back of him and yeah. murders him. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's nearly his function on the team <laughs> is to get you know absolutely destroyed by a defender coming through the back of him. All right, Galway tip in the All Ireland hurling semi final. Then I think uh, almost everybody would have predicted that uh, that could be a scenario. Galway tip in the football quarterfinals. Not so much, maybe for Galway and certainly for a tip. The Tipperary footballers having a whale of a time, and we're joined now by Connor. Sweeney, the man who hit the equaliser and then hit the winner to beat Derry in a shootout at the weekend. Connor, thanks for chatting to us and congratulations. What a day. Yeah, thanks a million. It's a fantastic occasion, I suppose. Um, to get to an All-Ireland quarterfinal for the first time in our history is, um, is something special. And um, look, we have another day to look forward to now, which is the main thing, you know. Obviously, the football championship gets knocked quite regularly for you know um, defensive football and all this kind of stuff. Uh, certainly, from a neutral point of view, it was incredibly exciting watching your game against Derry at the weekend. Did it feel like a thriller to be involved in? It did, I suppose. Yeah, for for the majority of the game, I think it was um, it was tit for tat for for most of the game. You know, and I suppose it looked like we had it won there with about you know five or ten minutes to go, but. Um, we got a soccer punch for a goal, but I suppose we just kept the head down and we went again. And thankfully, we were able to grind out the win. You know, uh, if you know, in a situation like which you you guys found yourself in, point down into injury time. Yeah. What's your uh, what's your mode of thinking there? Are you just hoping you get one chance to win the game? Are you saying right? I have to go try and ser- get on the ball here. I have to go and leave my position, search for the ball, 
Or do you just stay patient and say, right, the ball will come to me, the, my teammates will give me a chance? Yeah, I think it's all about being patient, especially for an inside forward. I mean, once the 70 minutes were up, I think there was five added minutes, so I knew there was plenty of time, you know, and I knew we'd, we'd get a couple of scores, so I suppose it's just about being patient. And um, I just kept saying to myself, you know, I, we were all wrecked. I think the bodies were, were very tired at that stage, but I just kept saying, you know, one more run, and I made the run, and I got the ball, and I just shot inside, really, and thankfully went over, you know. But I suppose you just got to keep playing to the to the very end because... Sports a funny old game. You never know what can happen, and you just got to keep working and, and keep going. And thankfully, we did. You know, obviously, the confidence was up by that stage. It was five points from play in total. So, uh, were you confident that if you if you did make that, as you said, if you got those tired legs moving and you just got enough space that you would knock it over? Actually, yeah, you have to trust yourself. And I look, there's there's been plenty of days where when they didn't go over, you know. But um, you just have to trust yourself and trust your technique. And and thankfully, they sailed over yes or the last day, you know. The obviously, you know, there's been plenty of work done at underage football and tip, and we're waiting to see kind of what happens with the senior team. Is this uh, is this a serious statement by you guys? Do you like to think of it that way? And, and I know the loads been made of some of the key players that you've lost. You're pretty fed up talking about that, but the ones who are there have made this step up now. Do you like? Do you feel like you belong in the last eight of the country? Ah, oh, yeah. Look, if, if you get to the last eight, I think you're there on merit. Um, all beach, you know, getting to a provincial final makes it all the easier because you've 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 less games to play in the qualifiers, and that was new territory for us again this year. You know, it was our first time getting to a the final, so I think um, when you get to a provincial final and you get, you know, if you get one not handy draw, but if you get one draw that you're fairly comfortable with, or you think it's okay, like it just takes the pressure off because you know Derry had three three games, three hard games played before that, and and maybe. Um, they just tired in the last 10 minutes when we kind of kept going, you know. So, um, yeah, look, we're there, Merit, and um, it's great. I think we're in the last 12 for the twice out of the last three years, so it was great to get one step further. What's the sort of reaction been like from the football people in the county? Is everyone um, everyone pretty hyped up and jubilant? Yeah, it's great. Um, look, we don't have too many followers for the football. We probably have a couple of hundreds, you know. When you exclude family and girlfriends and wives, it's... It's small, there's only a couple, maybe about 100, 150 who'd go to all our games, you know, and they were just ecstatic at the final whistle. Um, it meant the world to them. There were some real diehard football fans there and it was great to see the emotion on their faces. It's uh, Galway up next, Connor, and I remember yeah. being at that game a couple of years ago, the qualifier that you played against Galway. It was a bit of a shootout that day, 4-17 to 4-12, Murphy. So, I don't know, again, the neutrals would love a similar scoreline, yeah. uh, but, but is it going to be like that? Because you guys do ship some heavy scores, but you've obviously got a lot of scoring power as well. Is that the way you see it going? Yeah, I think that's the way some of our games have gone. It's we tend to just maybe outscore the opposition, but I mean, we're definitely going to have to tighten up the next day. I mean, you know, we can't ship two or three goals the next day, or else we'll find it very difficult to beat Galway. But um, yeah, we've played each other twice now in the last three years, so I'd say we're fairly, you know, we know each other maybe inside out at this stage. But um, yeah, hopefully it'll be kind of an open, expansive game again, like the last day. Because look, I think both teams want to play ball and. And hopefully it won't be too defensive and we can just go out and express ourselves, you know. Okay, we're looking forward to it. Listen, Connor Sweeney, best of luck and congratulations again. Yeah, cheers. No hassle, lads. Thanks. There you go. Tipper on a one-team crusade to save attacking football. I like it. What Connor would like to, to, to tighten up slightly, he's also probably speaking as an inside forward there. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to keep playing attacking football. I mean, you know, you, uh, he's the egg uh, upon which the defensive omelette will be uh, will be created, I think. That's uh, that's what Connor is concerned about. I mean, what they have conceded 
is 216 against Cork mm-hmm. in the Munster semi-final. Again, they won, of course. 317 against Kerry, and then 217 on <laughs> on Saturday. So 216, 317, and 217. Those are big scores in That's modern football. Big, big numbers. Now, I mean, yeah, you they know, won two of those games. Yeah, they're yeah. still going. Yeah, that is, and that is it. You know, like I, but my concern would be that you keep asking your forwards to score two eighteen in games. Someday, you know, that's not going to work out too well for you. I tell you, I tell you, if if people uh, <laughs> who complain about the ills of modern football <laughs> yeah. could have really enjoyed going to Tipperary football matches over the last couple of years. Yeah. I was at a, a qualifier they had against Leash. I can't remember, was it last year or two years ago? It was one of the best games I was ever at in my life. Mm-hmm. I remember like, you rave, raving about it in the paper, actually. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, it yeah. was. <laughs> I can't even remember the score. Like, But but uh, Leash kept coming back and scoring goals and Tip kept coming back and scoring more goals. And they were brilliant goals. And like it was actually one of, the, one of those games that Colin O'Reardon, he was playing wing back and just like won the game on his own from wing back. It was fantastic. Like they're great to watch. They really play fantastic football. And they like as you say, they concede an awful lot. But think of the accuracy that they have to have in front of goal to match yeah. and win and to still be standing. Okay, Kerry beat them. But to still be standing after conceding that amount is a serious goal. And it does actually come back to something that we've been talking about uh, all morning actually is what what do Tipperary have? They've looked at their resources and they said, mm-hmm. we've got loads of forwards. We've, yeah. got, we've got forwards and we've got wing backs and we've got midfielders, all of whom can kick points. Yeah. So that's what we have. Yeah. So let's play to the strengths that we have in this group, in this dressing room. Go forward. Yeah. Like, all of you go forward. If you're, if, if you, like, the amount of times Tipperary wing-backs picked up the ball, and it wasn't one of those, like, Tomas O'Shea's, Tomas O'Shea's sallies up the <laughs> yeah, field. Yeah, yeah. You know, the uh, midfielder hand-passes the ball, and it's to a wing-forward, a wing-back standing on the opposition 45, and it doesn't look like he's ran to be there. He's just there. You know, it's like, well, you might as well give me the ball down I'm here. So, like, that's what they have. Well, so let's just give, let's give Conor Sweeney and Mikey Quinlivan and, and these guys, just give them the ball 20 times in scorable positions yeah. and see what happens. Well, uh, like, like he says there, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to tighten up. Can't imagine Liam Kearns is going to spend the week now perfecting a blanket defence. Yeah. I think he's going to be telling, you know, the cornerbacks, listen, lads, maybe play from the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, they could take, 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 a, take a few early yellows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could take a leaf out of the book of a couple of teams up in Donegal at the weekend. Did you see the scoreline <laughs> in Donegal yeah. League? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Glenn Swift, for those who haven't heard, Glenn Swilly, this is a Donegal uh, League game. Glenn Swilly, three points. Enough to be victorious over St. Union, St. Union's and their tally of two points. <laughs> what <laughs> three, I loved two, about this story, I've read the full story yesterday. Yeah. What I loved about it was that there was a point scored after 14 seconds. <laughs> That's what I, Glenn Swilly, one of Glenn Swilly's three points was scored after 14 seconds. So there was 59 minutes and 16 seconds of... They obviously of, have... And where, is, where are my maths? Fucking, uh, it's 44 <laughs> seconds. 59 minutes and 44 seconds mm-hmm. of... <laughs> two points apiece in fairness there were 27 wides in the game yeah. so yeah, yeah I, I was actually at a game I played a game that finished five points to four and I think it was honestly 100% strike rate in yeah. in, in shots taken it was just <laughs> that, sometimes games just happen like that where everybody yeah, yeah. plays Milton played Tume in a league game a couple of years ago that I happened to be down for yeah. and it, they won it 4-2 and it wasn't even blanket defence. It was one of these Sunday morning league games. And it just seemed like everyone had had an extremely <laughs> late night the night before. I was like, it was, uh, this is like the North, the North Galway Classical, Malachi. I don't need to tell you. I mean, this is the biggest rivalry in, Go- in Galway yeah. football. 
and uh, just, uh, just not just so much that didn't day. work out quite how we how we'd expected. Not quite the fireworks we were expecting. <laughs> Malachi, brilliant stuff. Thank Anytime, you. Anytime, lads. I think that's the championship weekend fairly comprehensively covered, Murph, but I should add one point into it. Go on. There was a neat twist on one of your favourite GA plays in the Galway game. I don't know how well you would have seen this if you were actually at the... Well, well it was in the second half, so you <laughs> might have seen have, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the shoulder welcome. Oh, explain, yes. explain what the shoulder welcome is. In brief, uh, if you're being introduced as a substitute, first thing you need to do is establish your right to be on the pitch. You know, And that's, that's what you do by... Well, you walk up to your marker, you whack him with a shoulder. You run, really, you run yeah. straight into him at full speed. Which, um, and you can pick up a lot of speed from sidelines. It depends what position you're picking yeah. the central positions. And really, it, it, you know, depending on how your opponent decides to react to the gauntlet being thrown <laughs> down in such, physical, uh, in such a physical fashion, uh, this might go on for 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think I know where you're going with this one. Yeah, well, okay. So the twist on it this time was to Joe Canning, who I thought was in quite rambunctious form. I, I can only assume he was receiving some verbals mm. because he was certainly giving a few out after the go- ridiculously good goal that he scored. On, uh, it was within, within about ten. You know it's a quick goal after half time when the replay takes in the entirety of the move. The yeah. entirety of the, so from tip-off right through to, from throw-in, I should say, right through to the goal. And then there's still time for another short replay yeah. of the strike itself. <laughs> uh, it was an unbelievable goal. Afterwards, he goes... I think it was Brendan Bugler who's marking him. He just gives him a little a little dunt himself and gives him a few words there. So this is happening quite a lot. But as Bugler is being subbed off, which is always, I guess, a good sign for Ford when the defender marking gets taken off, Joe Canning went over to shake his hand. 
I'm not going to say, I don't want to, I can't read Joe Canning's intention. I can read the glint in his eye, which seemed to suggest to me, it wasn't being totally sportsmanlike in this handshake. It was a bit <laughs> On your more way, of a, boss. Yeah, it's a bit more of that, well done, you, you tried your best to stop Joe Canning, but yeah. Joe Canning's still One here. One six and counting. So. <laughs> yeah, and a few <laughs> defensive sweep-up jobs, so don't make a big deal about it. I mean, I'm a good hurler. So anyway, <laughs> as this was happening, he's in the middle of trying to shake Bugler's hand. Out of nowhere, into picture comes, I think it was David McInerney, the sub, comes flying on, full-on shoulder welcome. Yeah. Which is, I think, a little bit rude of McInerney because it was in, we were seeing the sarcastic, I wanted to see just the sarcastic handshake, which is another yeah. feature of Gaelic Games. Pause and then yeah. introduce it. But he it ruined was, the whole thing. He ruined the aesthetic was. by just barreling straight into it was, uh, Joe it, it was a bit of a melange of things going on there all. Oh, okay, I think that's about it. You can, oh, we've got a football podcast out. Dion Fanning replaced Kennedy. Uh, and we also spoke to uh, Jack Pitbrook about the appointment of Big, Big Sam, Sam Allardyce. Because the first press conference was today. So we also talked about the uh, Manchester derby that wasn't this mm. evening. We were going to preview well, We weren't going to preview it. I mean, you don't really preview preseason friendly. But, but uh, yeah, it's not happening now anyway. And we talked about a couple of the reasons why. So that's pretty much it. Follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash, forward slash secondcaptains. We'll be back again later in the week. In the meantime, thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. And thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 